This is where the story plays, a world on which we seldom gaze. Page from the book of yesterdays, birds and beasts and wind and water, here beneath the bright blue sky. Hey guys, this is Seth. Um, the following is an interview we did with Lyle Blackburn. We talk for the most part about the legend of Boggy Creek, the stories of Falk, and kind of the history of the Falk monster in and around Falk, Arkansas. Uh, at the end of the show, you'll hear the intro for the Kickstarter video because we did just launch the Kickstarter campaign last night for Boggy Creek Monster, the next small town monsters film. Uh, for those that are looking for the URL, it's kickstarter.com slash Minerva Monster slash projects slash boggy dash creek dash monster so not confusing at all but for the most part this is just an interview about legend of boggy creek and the history of falk so enjoy This is Saswa, a show about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Northeast Ohio, where the country meets the city, and vice versa. Where the river meets the sea. Um, <laughs> and I'm also joined by my pal, Brandon Dalo. Hey. And, boy, that was the most abbreviated <laughs> <laughs> intro. Hey. hey. Uh, and we're joined by Lyle Blackburn. Author, researcher, musician, you name it, he does it. Uh, hi, Lyle. Howdy. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. All right, so um, Lyle's got a bunch of stuff coming up, obviously, and we've got a bunch of stuff coming up, so we thought this was the perfect opportunity to get together and discuss some of his projects and what's going on with him and all that kind of stuff. My first question uh, not not to go super pro on you, but like, have you added to this massive collection in your room? <laughs> um, yeah, things get added um, gradually. I, I, I try not to uh, go crazy on that, but usually the things that are being added are typically Bigfoot items, uh, Bigfoot or cryptozoology-related books, but I also obviously collect a lot of Legend of Boggy Creek related things and so there's constantly a little bit of something uh being added at all times to my collection which is uh basically my large office and the walls are covered with horror and bigfoot and cryptozoology things favorite favorite item in in the collection Ooh, that's a tough one um boy you know, I've got a lot of cool Boggy Creek stuff, um, actual relics from houses seen in the movie. That's some of my favorite stuff. I do One of my favorite cool one-of-a-kind pieces, though, is a 
um, stunt mask from the movie Army of Darkness. Yes. And it's an actual mask used in the filming of the movie. So um, that's a, a very cool item. And just kind of the way I got it as well, because it, it uh, came from one of the members of Guar. Uh, into my collection so everything is not just a cool piece but it always usually has this bizarre story as to how i ended up with it uh so that's that's one of my favorite things and i've actually gone to horror conventions where i bring a few of these items and display them on on my table or whatever sometimes so other people can see them we had uh gene st Jean on last weekend and i forgot about the connection between you guys like i forgot that he had actually done the was it the model for the the Legend of Boggy Creek model, yeah, when we did the resin kit, he was the sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's always like sort of eight degrees of of Blackburn sometimes. Because I saw <laughs> he was going to be on, and it's like, and even like I don't see it came up the other day. Somebody's talking about some toy. I'm like, oh, it was in the in the store, you know, because he sculpts uh, like Universal Monster stuff, and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, yeah, the guy that sculpted that's actually the guy that <laughs> did my resin. A statue for Boggy Creek, and they're just looking at me like, "How can that be?" I'm like, well, "It's the fact." I mean, it's, well, it's but, funny. Uh, it's funny because, like, with Gene, I own uh, figures that he sculpted, and I had no knowledge of that until, like, well into you know getting into Bigfoot and him being into Bigfoot and us friending each other on Facebook. I had no idea. Like, I I own the Shazam that he sculpted for DC Direct, um, and then apparently he did some of that. Uh, I could show you, but they're they're behind me. Uh, the, there's that universal line that was in like the tubes, the clear plastic tubes, and they're kind of big and like mm-hmm. look like a doll. I've got the Invisible Man. I don't know that he did the Invisible Man, but I've got that one. So there's yeah, there's this weird connection there too, where I I was shocked to find that out. I was watching um, uh, uh, Legend. I watched Legend of Boggy Creek and Boggy Creek Two. The Legend Continues. Uh, today and i have to ask you something just to clarify there's this weird i looked this up on imdb because i was trying to figure out the release pattern there's this weird thing where like legend of boggy creek came out first right but then what was the sequel that came after that well yeah even though they call they call that Evelyn boggy creek 2 it's actually should be boggy creek 3 because there was one in the middle called return to boggy creek yeah um which was uh released in the late 70s i mean what it amounted to is uh you know legend of boggy creek was such a huge sensation and made so much money that uh you know everybody was always bugging pierce to do a sequel um you know the the distributors and uh you know other film companies or what have you and he just didn't want to he's like i made that film it was great i've moved on i'm making other films and so they went ahead and made the you know return to boggy creek without his input and that was uh it's you know more of a kids movie and, and it's kind of in louisiana with fake Lu- cajun accents it's, it's bad and then but by the you know mid 80s they I guess finally he broke down and and decided to make a sequel. So, you know, since that was him making a movie follow-up, then it it was called Boggy Creek 2. So it's very confusing. Mark, have you seen the sequels to Boggy mm-hmm. Creek? Yeah. Yeah, doesn't The Return have uh, Don Wells in it? Marianne from Gilligan's it Island? 
Yeah. Yeah. She was a good friend of, of Pierce and she appeared in the town that dreaded sundown, one of his other really good movies. And, uh, yeah, she, she was in that ironically. Uh, they actually show that on, uh, Turner classic movies once in a while. The, did anyone see the remake of that? I haven't. I haven't got to see it. I saw the original. I've never seen the remake. I heard it was not good. Yeah, well, it was good. I saw it. Was uh, it? it? And it wasn't a remake. It was a reimagining. Um, I think they were very clever in the way they did it because it wasn't. It was set in modern day, but it was there was real stuff. It started out because they show the town that dreaded mood sundown in Texarkana. Uh, once a year around Halloween, and that's a that is true, and mm-hmm. and so uh, it inspired kind of some copycat murders, and so it encompassed Pierce's film in a way that that uh, it, it was very clever. I thought so. I thought it was good. I mean, for a modern day horror film, and you know, for a I mean, it wasn't a huge budget film, but it was well made, and, and in fact, uh, Chuck Pierce. Charles Pierce's son, who is the little kid in, in the beginning of The Legend of Boggy Creek, and he's in Boggy Creek, too. He actually has a cameo in that in the new town that dreaded sundown, and he's also a character in the movie. I mean, it's very, very cool the wow. way it's connected to reality. Cool. Uh, did, did, what, did, was Pierce into Bigfoot, like, before the, the sightings happened, or was it more of, like, you know, like, he, he just saw a really cool story he thought he could turn into a movie? Well, I think it, it originally started, you know, he, he was reading the newspapers that in the Texarkana Gazette and the things coming out at the time in 1971, and uh, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is this is fascinating, and this would make a great – he started out to make a documentary, and uh, it was, you know, the perfect topic. And I think f- following that and his involvement in The Legend of Boggy Creek, I mean, he actually was out in the woods with Smokey literally doing Bigfoot research. I mean, they were uh, doing uh, wounded rabbit calls and things like that to solicit responses from the creature. And I think ever since then, uh, you know, Pierce had some interest in, you know, Bigfoot. I mean, you know, he didn't, he wasn't doing Bigfoot research, but I think he, you know, thought there was something to it and he was definitely uh, fascinated by it. Mark, hop in. Well, um, one other thing on their collection, Lyle. I saw on, I don't know, Instagram or something, that you have uh, X-plus half-human figures. Do you have any other half-human stuff in your collection? No, just the two uh, figures, the larger one and the smaller one. But I don't have any of the, uh, you know, maybe I don't have any of the lobby cards or any okay. of the other uh, things. But that's that's cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, I wanted to talk about because I talked to you about it when I was there, uh, back in October, but, but I, it's not something I hear you talk about very often on the shows, but like there's this, because you're so closely associated with the, the Falk stuff, I'm, I'm the type of guy who like, I know people who are super involved in this subject and I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of focusing in on the Falk thing, but I guess I'm, I'm talking Bigfoot too, like in general, but I know people who are really into this to the point where they kind of lose, I guess they like lose their passion for it in a way. Like they're just, it's almost like it just becomes what they're doing, you know, to, 
just just out of habit, I guess. But like, I was impressed when I was there because like you and I got to talking, and I think I asked you when we were driving around. I was like, "Are you like? Is there still a genuine passion for like um, the Falk story? You know, like the the Boggy Creek story, the sightings in that area, or is it just something where you're you've been doing it so long? It's what you do, like it's it's how you know how to do. And you told me you're how could you not? I think your words were, "How could I not be into this?" So, like, can you talk about that a little? Because I think it's, I think it's cool that you're still so passionate about the this the subject and those sightings and researching that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still full on passionate about it and and totally fascinated and and really geeked out on it. I mean, I'm uh, I really haven't lost any of the desire to keep finding tidbits of the story um you know in some ways i'm still the kid who saw that movie it was such a huge thing event in my life i mean when we saw that movie and i you know it was just kind of the perfect setup i loved horror movies i loved bigfoot and then for years after that my dad was running around the house would jump out and say boggy creek monster we're scaring <laughs> my sister and my mom and um, you know, I'm still that kid who's trying to um, find out every fact about this. And so every time I go to Falk, um, it seems like I discover something new, whether it's just a sighting, you know, even a more recent sighting, and I'm interviewing somebody, or something about the movie. Um, you know, just recently I, I met uh, the, one, of, one of the actors who played, who wore the suit in The Legend of Boggy Creek. And I mean, I'm, I'm meeting it and I'm trying not to just totally like geek out on him and make him think I'm a moron, you know, because I want to, you know, I want to show him that I, I'm seriously interested in the subject. But I mean, I can feel it in me when I'm like, oh, my God, this guy was in the movie and he knows some facts and I'm asking him questions. And, you know, at first he's like, uh, I don't know, but, um, you know, they're, they're very nice about this and, and. And when I go to Falk, everybody seems to want to uh, provide me with, you know, more more of the story. And so I'm just fascinated with with all of it, and it's it's never um, it's never waned since the the very beginning of it. Well, plus, like, there's all this activity still going on there. That was like, I guess that's what surprises me, and I I know it's going to be a focus of the movie we're going to work on obviously is that the fact that this didn't end in 1971 like there's there's been sightings that continue so that's a that's got to keep you coming back too yeah it's certainly a big part of it i mean if it was all historical research it'd be one thing but the fact that people still report sightings and you know in this case i can get there relatively um soon after the it had occurred i can interview the people um you know that that's certainly a, a driving force in in keeping up the research. But I mean, truly, in my life, it's almost it's hardly a day that goes by that something doesn't involve Boggy Creek. Just like I get a text maybe from a friend up there who said, you know, I think my dad has a letter from somebody who said they had a sighting, and I'm like, cool man, look for that, and you know, just just always something coming in. So it's it's fun, you know. Well, we had a we had a sighting when I was there. Remember, we were we were driving on that back road, and I had a sighting on that hill. Right. The the pipe. I saw a pipe. 
<laughs> yeah, well, then that was kind of a weird thing. I mean, I guess maybe briefly say what you saw. So we can... <laughs> yeah, we were driving. We were driving on this back road, and uh, we go around a bend. And as we're going around the bend, I look out out the window, and as all I see is like a black object that looks to me like it's moving up the side of this hill. And I say something to Lyle, and Lyle comes to a screeching halt hmm. on the middle of this. This is like a road back in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Lyle throws the car into reverse. And keep in mind, like I just said, we just came around a corner. So he, he's reversing towards the corner, which at any moment I'm thinking like a car is just ah. going to come around the corner <laughs> and split us. But uh, we, we back up in here. It was like I think it was like a drainage pipe or something coming out the side of the hill. And I had uh, misidentified it for a Bigfoot, I guess. And if I remember right, there might have been some horses or something up there too. I can't. I can't remember. Like it was, there was something else, but most mostly, I just misidentified a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> did you get that was... on film? No, it was elusive. No? The pipe was elusive. It was so blurry. <laughs> it was way off. But I mean, it was. I mean, it was cool. It was kind of an optical illusion, and you could almost see how. Um, if we hadn't backed up and returned that we might've thought, you know, it's possible, mm-hmm. but we, we, you know, we, we kind of figured it out, but, um, you know, it, it, and that there's a perfect moment right there where it's like, you know, your adrenaline pumps a little bit because, you know, you, you know, you may have just seen the creature and, and you're you know, in that, it's that thing like with a bear Brandon, where it's like, you're in that location, so your mind—no matter what—your imagination is going to want to believe that you're seeing a Bigfoot. Like anywhere you look, you're going to kind of your your senses are heightened. You're looking for something, um, and that's the way I felt down there. Like we got dropped off the one day down at the the Sulphur River, and um, the entire <laughs> the entire time I'm there, like any noise in the woods, I'm like, what was that? Like, you know, you're just like everything's heightened down there, but. Um, Mark, you're like an old school Boggy Creek fan. Like you wrote this epic uh, diatribe about Boggy Creek that I posted on the the yeah. Saswat website a long time ago, and then I I linked to recently on the Small Town Monsters page. But talk a little about your like relationship with the film. Well, I got a book by Elwood Bauman a long time ago. It was a scholastic book, actually. And that was the first time I'd actually heard about the movie. And at that time, I mean, it was this was sort of pre-home video and being able to watch anything you want on demand. So I read all about this movie, and it was like probably a couple short chapters in this book, Monsters of North America. But then I tried to find the movie. I couldn't find it. I mean, there was nowhere to look for it, really, because there was um, very little in the way of home video having to do with Bigfoot or cryptozoology. And so, you know, it just sort of sent me on this quest. I mean, it was a quest just to see this movie, because in the description it talked about how uh, they captured the roars of the creature on film, which, you know, later on I found out was not true. But all of the, it was, you know, it sounded like the first semi-serious Bigfoot film. And I was really interested in, in seeing it. And it was really probably five to seven years after reading that book that I just happened upon the uh, TV listings um, that Legend of Boggy Creek was going to be on in the middle of the night on a local station in central Michigan. And our family had just gotten a VCR, so I was very you know, surgically, carefully 
uh, programming the VCR <laughs> for the right time and like double checking it to make sure it didn't screw up because I wasn't going to, you know, I couldn't stay up until 3 a.m. or whenever it was on. But finally, you know, I it recorded. I watched it. You know, I, I just vividly remember pushing play and it kind of goes through the station identification thing and then it's the black screen with the words on there about it being based on true events and it was just a a huge moment for me personally because this was the first time I had seen anything besides like Bigfoot and Wild Boy on Saturday morning (laughs) that was Bigfoot and taking it seriously and the recreations are done in such a way that you know, it seems pretty realistic and pretty plausible. And uh, so I've hung on to that that VHS tape. I still have that. Of course, I have it on DVD now. But I guess it's it's that wasn't the one thing that propelled me into Bigfoot like it was for so many people. And it wasn't in a theater, but it was still sort of a formative moment um, See, to see this movie I'd heard about for so long. You know? I, I'm interested to talk to you guys always about this because, like, I come at I, I think Brandon's the same as me, actually. I just watched the movie for the first time two years ago. So before that, I don't even think I was aware of Legend of Boggy Creek until I got into uh, the subject. So for me, it's like I'm coming at it from a, a newbie. Um, and and I think, Brandon, you're kind of the same way, right? Yeah, I think I found out about it actually from you. Yeah. So, like, I hadn't heard about it at all before that. And, uh, yeah, it was probably, like, two or three years ago. And I just downloaded it and watched it a couple years ago. What did you, what was your initial reaction to the movie? It's hard to kind of remember exactly what I was thinking, but I remember just kind of, I think it was similar to what you, how you felt about it, which was, like, a little hokey. But, but obviously, it's, you know, it's a movie from its era. But at the same time, like you said, Mark, it had like some of the reenactments were done very well. You know, it wasn't like you you couldn't just immediately tell it was a guy in a suit necessarily. They did some really interesting shots where you would only see like its arm kind of thing or a part of it, um, you know, kind of from behind or in the front, kind of watching people from the woods or whatever, if I recall correctly. Um, and I just I remember liking that, especially the the end scene with with the attack on the house was was really cool. Um all right, Lyle. Like, as someone who writes about this stuff, do you can you remove yourself and like the nostalgia factor with a movie ever? And what do you think, like critically? What do you think of the movie? Like, I know what I think of it, and I'll say in a minute. But like, I'm curious to know, like, how do you how do you talk about the movie as a you know, I guess critically? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I can look at it objectively. I mean, just hearing that music start there's a nostalgia thing that comes over me in such a way that no other movie can do. So certainly I have to kind of try to look outside of that when I look at the movie. And certainly there's, um, there's a lot of things that date the movie. Some of the music, the score, it gets a little too like, you know, wildlife educational films like I saw in school when I was a kid. And, um, and you know, some of the, you know, obviously the dialect and and things it serves to make it real but at the same time if you know some some of it is kind of laughable and then of course the songs um are very i don't know uh, disney you know disney that's a good way to describe it they're they're very they kind of they propel the story and they work 
they work right. It's, it's amazing that, you know, I mean, one of them is sung by Pierce himself. I mean, that guy was doing it all. Yeah. And, you know, for those factors, it's amazing. But, yes, it, it's it's kind of dated a lot from the soundtrack and a few other things. But but also I look at it in understanding where Pierce was when he filmed that. This was a true independent guerrilla filmmaker, you know, no pun intended. I mean, this guy was um, doing this on the fly and sort of making it up as he went along. And But he was brilliant. If you look at, like, some of the setups, like, the, for example, a scene with Mary Beth Searcy, the one where it begins, the sun is just starting to set. She goes outside to a well to establish this. She's all alone. She's way out here in the woods and goes back in the house. And, of course, there's uh, a baby and, 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 you know, the mother. And the setups on that just visually give you the creeps. And you know that when this girl sees it, you know, she's helpless, defenseless, out in this old, creepy house. And just just the way uh, Pierce filmed that and a lot of the scenes in the uh, in the bayous where uh, he, he films at, you know, at that magic moment when the sun is just right and kind of going down and the, and the animals are moving. You know, I think he just had a great eye for that stuff. And then you put that with Earl Smith's um, uh, script and the narration, which sort of, you know, pieced it together in a way that, you know, said, hey, you, you can believe me or not, but this is what went on, you know, and uh, by the narrator. And I think it's brilliant, brilliantly done, especially it's the guy's first movie. Um, you know, he was just doing it, you know, on the fly, on the cheap, and uh, for it to have come out and done what it did, make $25 million, give or take, you know, it's just an amazing feat. So in the standpoint of um, a pioneer in this kind of docudrama found footage horror, Pierce is way, way underrated. And uh, so I look at it from those standpoints. But uh, it's just for some people like you, you guys, of course, you see it later. You don't have that nostalgia thing because you didn't see it at the timely point when it came out yeah you but know, you, but you, i i still love like what we were talking right before we we got on with you guys about it because i watched it today and what what amazes me and i've, t- I've talked to both of you guys about this probably ad nauseum at this point but those opening and closing bookends i they might be two of my favorite scenes on film like period like in the history of cinema um i adore those opening and closing scenes and then, like you were talking about with the cinematography, the cinematography in the movie is unbelievable. Like, there's these shots, and I was showing one to Brandon right before we got on with you guys, where it could be it could be a road shot. Brandon pointed out that it could have been in the opening shot, or it's okay. The boy goes into town, tells the guys at the mart, you know, about his mom, then goes running across the field, and there's this tracking shot, and you're up on a hill. You're either on a hill or you're on a freaking helicopter. I can't. To me, it looks like a helicopter shot. But I that shot to me is is as cinematic as as like David Lean. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable yeah. shot. And I remember the first time I saw the movie, that was what took me by surprise because all you ever hear about is like the MST3K kind of like you know poking fun at it kind of thing. And when I watched it, I was impressed by the craftsmanship, like the. The the cinematography in the movie start to finish is is unbelievable. There's some faults in the editing and the music and little things here and there. But to me the the shot composition and the framing and stuff puts like anything 
I see in most modern horror movies to shame. It does, yeah. Compare that to an indie Bigfoot film mm-hmm. from any number of years going back and put them up against Pierce's cinematography. It, it just doesn't even compare, you know. It's, so so he was shooting. That was going to be my other question. He was, he was actually the guy. He was DPing his own movies. Yeah, I mean, he was... It was pretty much him, you, him using a volunteer rotating volunteer staff of uh, helpers. So it, it was just him and uh, and what I recently. This is a tidbit that I recently learned that Earl Smith, the guy who wrote the script, was pretty much there as well uh, on on site when they were filming. That was one thing I always wondered: is what was his involvement? Was he just sitting back at the end writing? you know, piecing it all together, trying to write a script, or was he there with Pierce? And he was there a lot, so I think, you know, he, he we owe a lot to Smith, too, for that. But, uh, yeah, Pierce was, I mean, this was literally, uh, you know, him, remember, it's his first movie. He's never made a movie. He's just down there by himself with a, a rented camera hmm. making making those shots. It's amazing. Do you, do- does he he reminds me of like the forerunner for someone like John Carpenter like that's or Robert Rodriguez like he's kind of like this I mean that that's kind of what he reminds me of is like the godfather of indie cinema in a way or at least indie horror films I don't know maybe I'm I might be going over but <laughs> well I mean he is in a way and I think he's he's unrecognized a lot but I mean the one problem is if you look at Halloween it stands up much more uh you know, in a viewing today Definitely. than Boggy Creek does. That there's a and even the town that dreaded sundown, there's some humorous parts in there that I think if he hadn't have put those in there, that movie would have been even better. And I think there's a few you know, he was kind of pioneering some of these things and of course, you know, the first guys that usually do it may not be the ones that are the remembered. Best. Yeah. And and then later in the seventies by seventy eight you know, some of the guys that were doing some of those similar things became they I mean, they perfected that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he so. laid the groundwork. Um do we have any footage is there any like behind the scenes footage? I've never seen actual footage from the shooting of Legend of Boggy Creek. There's no behind the scenes because nobody else had a camera. I mean, of course there was no nobody had video cameras or phones and they only had the one camera. So, you know, there wasn't any sort of forethought to let's film us filming the movie. None of that. I mean, um, there's very few even still photography shots of them filming. So, unfortunately, nothing like that. Yeah. Mark, did you have any questions relating to the film before I move on? Um, well, I, I yeah, I guess the one thing I was wondering is, you know, Lyle, what were the conditions that you saw the the film under for the first time did you see it in a theater or what was how'd you see it first in a drive-in actually which was was great um yeah i mean i was i don't remember what year it played for several years so i i I, you know and i asked my parents what year and they don't remember but um my parents just you know we used to go to the drive-in because you know they couldn't afford babysitters a lot so they'd just assume i would sleep in the back seat but uh in this case i knew it was it was a scary movie, and when, uh, you know, my dad said something back, well, I think it's a Bigfoot movie, of course. I'm like, dude, i got to watch this. So I just, I mean, and I may be making making memories that I don't really remember, but, I, you know, I remember jumping in the front seat and then just 
I mean, I definitely remember watching the movie. Um, so it was on that huge drive-in screen, which just made it even more creepy in a way. And, uh, you know, that, that was a big event in my life, obviously. We didn't have any home videos or anything back then, you know, like, like you say. So it was a big deal to go to the drive-in, you know. Well, I was going to ask, too, um, I don't know if you know anything about the the score. You mentioned it earlier. Um, but Seth and I have been talking about it a little bit recently because obviously I'll be doing the music for, for our movie. Um, and, you know, I'm assuming that at some point it, it'll probably reference that original score. But there's no... We were looking online and things, and there's there's no copies of of the score anywhere. Um, there's a couple of the songs that have you know some of the the actual lyrics and stuff that you can get on YouTube, but for the most part, you can't find the score anywhere. It was really hard to kind of even find who the composer was and things like that. Do you have any other information about the score or the process? No, you know um, I've kind of dug into that. Uh, Jamie Mendoza Nava that did that score. Um, he had done a few things in the past. If you watch an old movie called The Equinox, you will hear musical cues that he recycled in The Legend of Boggy Creek, um, and they recycled some other sort of uh, you know clips from from old stuff. And that's you know that's kind of how they did it back then to create that Legend of Boggy Creek soundtrack, um, as well as adding new stuff to it but it's kind of the same thing with the film all that stuff just it was old and it was done indie style and pierce you know just never really preserved a lot of that stuff and unfortunately you can't you know we're still working with the pierce estate to even find the copies of the original uh negatives of the film even so the score um I tried contacting Mendoza Nava's wife and, and such, trying to inquire about whether there's a recording somewhere of just the score or anything like that, and I, I never could get any response. So it's it's sort of lost, I guess. What? So this is this is like sixteen. This was all shot on like sixteen millimeter, right? Or what did they shoot on? Uh. I have that in my notes. I can't remember offhand okay. right now. Uh, what are these copies that are on? Like, what are what are typically the copies being made from, if not the negative? Just like leftover copies from from theaters that they dug up, or I think the well, a lot of them are just copies of copies. I think uh, some of them. One of them was probably made off of a, um, you know, a negative. Uh, I mean, a a film that was shown in the theaters and then these subsequent DVDs and all this stuff were copied off. Some of them off just literally off VHS tapes. And then some of the DVDs are copies of DVDs. So I only think that only one or two maybe were copied from, uh, you know, a theatrical release 35 millimeter. I have, you know, I've been trying to track down even a print like that. I've got one reel of it is all I've ever managed to find. Um, so I have one actual theater run reel of Legend of Boggy Creek, but wow. you know it's just bad, bad, bad. And I mean, the the purpose, obviously, if we can find those negatives, is to make a release on Blu-ray. And people ask me that constantly: why not? You know, as if it's like, dude, if we could find that, definitely, you know, do a new transfer. So that's been the goal. But there's a a paper trail of when it le- left Technicolor Studios and where it went and 
I mean, it's almost like trying to find the creature itself. You, every bit of this movie is just a big, huge mystery, and things disappear, and, you know, it's... it's. Well, <laughs> I watched a documentary recently on the remastering of Citizen Kane, and that was a difficult process. Like, just, just them finding the original negatives and working off of that and remastering that, and that's considered, like, one of the greatest movies of all time. It's archived, so imagine, like, an indie film that was Mm -hmm. primarily playing at drive-ins and that kind of thing, and you're, you know, it's just, this This is what I find such a shame, is it's like this this film history that can just disappear overnight, despite the fact it should be captured forever, considering it's, you know, visually down. But anyway, let's talk about um, your history with the town. I'm curious, because I've never asked you about this, but how did you get involved with Falk in the first place like what drove you to Falk the first time and do you remember your first time there and is that where everything kicked off where you're like I'm I think I'm going to write a book on this I'm going to like I don't know that what's your secret origin with you know with Falk well I was right I was starting to write for the horror magazine Rue Morgue and you know I was already into Bigfoot and cryptozoology and stuff and I don't know, for some reason it just clicked and they, and I found, I knew the guys from the magazine, uh, and they were like, oh yeah, we love cryptozoology. We just don't know, you know, so we don't have a writer that knows much about that. I'm like, well, I know that subject very well and I'm, you know, versed in horror movies and I'm a writer. So once I started writing for the magazine, obviously the subjects, uh, to write about or the movies, you know, it seemed like Legend of Boggy Creek was always coming up and I just sort of got the desire to write a book and I I remember sitting down at the computer going well what would I write about what is my very favorite subject in the whole world and I just go the legend of Boggy Creek and I thought I need to research and find out what is true about that I remember starting to do some Google searches and and just literally start collecting the newspaper articles and of course from there I needed to go to Falk you know and and you know, find find out what there is to see, who there is to interview, and to find out the story. And so I just, you know, started showing up up there, and um, I had, I had, well, I mean, I'd see, I had seen Smokey by that time at an event, but I didn't know Smokey, so to speak, you know, personally. Um, and I, I basically just went to the town, and you know, of course, they were very. I mean, they're very guarded. I mean, there's been a lot of coverage of this, and they're not um, always happy with people coming into town and doing all this stuff, especially because a lot of the news footage would end up making them look silly. So, you know, rightly so, they weren't uh, take too kindly to people coming down there. Um, But I just kept coming back and assuring them that the book I'm going to write is just it's a historical book I'm not judging anybody I'm not making fun of anybody in fact I you know I believe there's something to it and once they started seeing me uh, that I wasn't going away and that you know I'm just you know I'm I'm I guess well spoken and you know and I was persistent and very uh serious about the approach and and people got to trust me and then you know guys would start driving me around and showing me around the place and um they would bring call somebody to come talk to me and slowly but surely i got to know so many people and i mean you 
in the book was well well received. There's a lot of history about Falk itself, not just the monster. I mean, the thing's called the Falk monster. What is Falk? We got to write about that. Some history to give the full picture of uh, the environment, the town, you know, that's connected to this creature. And so I think they really appreciated that. And then, I mean, you fast forward now, I, I just can show up up there, and I know so many people, and they're so nice and. You know, people invite me to stay at their house, and it's an amazing thing because I, I love Falk. I love the countryside. I love the people, and um, it's great to just go there and sort of be, like, accepted as a, you know, a, a person. A, yeah, like an honorary Falkian. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's really nice. And then, of course, you know, you know getting to mo- know Smokey and some of the really uh, pivotal pivotal uh, characters in this um, story, you know, just is a little bit mind-blowing because, you know, I mean, I was the kid watching this movie so long ago in a drive-in, just to even think that, um, you know, people look to me as, as any expert on Boggy Creek is just mind-blowing. <laughs> it's just, it's great. And um, Was there was there anything early on when you were first kind of going there that surprised you, like, like, were you, you know, just something that you can call to mind that kind of took you back? Uh, I mean, just, just in the fact that there were a lot of other sightings that weren't in the movie, you know, because when I first started doing research on the internet, I could see that the prevailing thought was that, oh yeah, there's, yeah, it was a couple of incidents back in the seventies and then it was totally blown out of proportion in this movie and, you know, it just seemed highly exaggerated. And it really surprised me as to how much, how much other information was out there about uh, sightings and the stories and uh, other things. And then, of course, that the sightings had continued. And that was just blowing my mind where I thought I was going to be writing a very historical book. It ended up, you know, current. I mean, just right up, sightings right up to the times the manuscript was turned in mm-hmm. so it, it really blew my mind that there was that much untold story to the whole thing mark yeah you ended up getting to know smoky crabtree pretty well i think um what was what was his history with sightings of the creature can you kind of run us through those and, and you know did he did he embrace that at a certain point? Did he not really want to talk about it, or what was your take on his his experiences? Well, Smokey, you know the way he got you know wrapped up in this was when his middle son uh, Lynn, he had three boys at the time back in 1965. Uh, the middle son Lynn had an encounter with the creature and. He was out squirrel hunting one evening and uh, saw something that scared him to death. And he ran back in the house and, uh, you know, explained what he had seen. And, you know, Smokey was just, you know, concerned, obviously, for, for his boy and just trying to figure out just what this was. And he's, I mean, he's a he's an outdoorsman. I mean, you know, a hunter. And so... He, you know, immediately went back down there, the place where Lynn said he saw the creature and started looking into it. And once the story got out, 
that Lynn had had this sighting. Of course, a lot of ridicule comes with that and, and the whole deal. And Smokey was basically committed to uh, corroborate his son's sighting. And I think Smokey felt that if this, if something's out there, I can find it. I mean, I, I can find, I mean, this guy could, he could hunt <laughs> anything. I mean, it was a boar, a good story about a boar where he, you know, persisted for a long time to hunt this thing down and get it, and he did. So I think he was frustrated in a way that he couldn't um, immediately solve this puzzle. And so as time went on, um, he, you know, obviously uh, got involved with the legend of Boggy Creek. And once Pierce came to town, there was a big, it was a, just a huge, long story about that, just how how impl- how instrumental Smokey was in making the movie because Smokey could guide him back in there in the bayous and and he could convince people in the town to share their sightings and things like that. So Smokey just became more and more wrapped up in this. And then by the time the movie came out, you know, which kind of, you know, in a way they felt that it made them look bad. You know, it kind of, of course, sensationalized the, all the events. And Smokey just wanted it told in a more of a matter-of-fact way. So Smokey, that's why he started writing his books, is here's the deal. Here's my involvement. And so I think Smokey, um, you know, all along took this seriously, and he was happy to talk about it. And that was, you know, he never didn't want to talk about it, and he was really trying to solve this mystery. And he spent his whole life, you know, forevermore connected to it, but he was always happy to talk about it no problem did he did he actively like i mean i mean just as your impression do you think he was looking for this thing because what i'm hearing reminds me of like ahab and moby dick in a way like (laughs) was was the falc monster kind of his white whale Uh, somewhat i mean i don't you know i don't think he i mean he didn't become obsessed to the point where you know every day he went in the woods to seek this thing out Mm -hmm. and you know uh, went all Rambo or anything, but you know he, you know it was something always in his mind. And as he continued his life, I mean, he lived in the Sulphur River bottoms. I mean, he did he hunted and he fished down there, and that never stopped. So every time he's in the woods, even if he's hunt, deer hunting, you know, it's in the back of his mind. He kept his eyes open because he thought at any time I'm going to see it. And several, as as shown in the Legend of Boggy Creek, several of his uh, relatives came forward after Lynn had reported his sighting and said, hey, you know, actually we've seen something down there too. We just didn't want to say anything because, you know, obviously people make fun of it. But they were kind of backing up Lynn. So, you know, Smokey was one of the ones that was involved but had never seen it. So I think his eyes were always open, but he wasn't, you know, completely obsessed or anything. Hmm. Mark? Um, let's see. There, there was, um, some stuff in the movie that I, we may have talked about before, but I think that there's the one we were talking about sort of the economy of how you don't see the creature for much of the film. And there's this one, uh, part of that where it's, there's like three girls in a trailer and they sense that the creature is sort of circling their trailer and you never really see much of the the creature at all, and maybe just a couple cuts to like uh, like a close up of fur. But 
you know, was that that was a uh, an actual reported sighting, right? I mean, that where they were by themselves because that's one of the creepiest moments of the film for me, and it's so amazing because they don't they hardly show the monster at all, but the girls in that trailer portray such a sense of terror and again being vulnerable and alone, and I, I think that there's that scene ends with sort of a freeze frame. It's just such a uh, a weird, unsettling thing. Uh, did did you ever interact like with anybody who was a part of that sighting, or did you get any leads off of that at all? Yes, I, I do know one. That was based on an actual event, and I know the movie are not the same girls that were, you know, those were somebody playing them. But I, I, yeah, I have spoken to uh, one of the girls was in there, and that trailer was located very near Boggy Creek itself. And she said, yeah, they were, you know, this was when all the sightings were happening uh, in 1971. And she said they were in the trailer and some, you know, something was going on outside. Something was around and they, they're, you know, they were just at the height of fear and, and panic. And, you know, they never, they never saw anything. They never saw it. But she said they were certainly definitely in that kind of state of panic and fear over, you know, what could be out there. And I think, you know, Pierce is pretty accurate. I mean, he doesn't, in that scene, he doesn't overly, you know, the monster's not breaking into the trailer or any nonsense like that. It's out there, and he uses those girls' fear to let your imagination run wild. And that freeze frame at the end is just like, I remember seeing that with a kid. When I was a kid, I'm like, my God, that yeah. scared me to death. And mm-hmm. Um, it was effective. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a very real incident that occurred and um, was portrayed pretty well in the movie. There, There's, like, a, for the most part, Legend of Boggy Creek is historical sightings or sightings that are at least, like, a play on a historical sighting. But I was watching... Is that right? Like, I'm, none of those are entirely fabricated, right? Uh, n- none of them are really fabricated. I've, I've traced pretty much all of those incidents back to an original report, um, whether word of mouth or whether it was uh, actually printed in the paper. And those were all based on sightings from the 1960s and 1971. And um, there's just a couple in there that I could never, like Apache Ranch, We could, no one could ever figure out what that was. So, you know, there may have been a couple of things inserted, but for the most part, they were all traceable back to a real... Encounter. Well, there's this thing they do in Boggy Creek 2, which again is to me is isn't even in the same ballpark as Legend of Boggy Creek. Like if you that's the movie you can sure you can MST3K that if you want to. It's fun. I was enjoying watching it today. But um there's all Well, they actually did. Yeah, that's the, yeah. and I just posted it earlier. <laughs> um yeah. they they do all these um there aren't many of them, but they do intercut these like tall tales or whatever you want to call it. And it's, I'm assuming Pierce is trying to call back to Legend of Boggy Creek while also moving it forward with this kind of, I what at the time would have been a more modern like horror movie. But did any of those um, incidents happen? And specifically, what I'm referring to, the one I really want to know about, don't break my heart here, but I really want to know <laughs> that the guy that steps in the toilet. Uh, that's out in the outhouse. I want to know that that is based in reality. (laughs) 
No, unfortunately, the the only one that I could find any truth to in Boggy Creek Two is the one where uh, it's it's like in a barn, and the thing is kind of in a breezeway through that barn, and you see it. I did find that there was a word of mouth report or story that um, connected that to reality, and I think in a way that was just one that just didn't make the cut into the original Legend of Boggy Creek, because if you look at that scene, it's very much of the first movie. Like you say, it kind of connects those two things. All the rest of that thing, all the rest of it is just, you know, at that point, he wasn't, you know, he was just fabricating or writing a script right. about the concept. He wasn't. I did think, I did him. think the opening of that movie was really well done. The, <laughs> The deer getting just mutilated in the in the swamp. Uh, I thought that was cool. I liked I liked that segment. Other than that, I couldn't find any of the like the threads that I love so much from Legend of Boggy Creek. Like, there's still some of the some of the so- shot composition still really good. He gets some beautiful like low light kind of uh, sunset shots in that movie that I loved. And I was going to ask you about that. Is that are we seeing when we're seeing uh, Legend of Boggy Creek and Boggy Creek Two? Is that actually down at the Sulphur River bottoms, or was he shooting some of those swamp shots elsewhere? Legend of Boggy Creek, all of that is filmed there in Mercer Bayou, um, primarily um, Days Creek, a little bit up in that area. So yes, that's all right, right there in Fowl. Okay, right where all that stuff is happening. <clears throat> Boggy Creek 2, um, a lot of that was shot down by the Sulphur River. I mean, literally where I took you mm-hmm. down there uh, when you were here in October. That's right where some of that was shot. A few of the other things were shot in other places um, for that movie. I, it, it wasn't all shot on location right around Falk. So it's it's a mixed bag. And I think, and, and Pierce was living down in Louisiana at the time. So I think some of it. Um, was could have or would have been shot down there too as needed. So it's a it's a mixed bag on Boggy Creek too. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I gotta we, we gotta start dipping out. But I wanted to know: Have you ever had any 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 situations down in Falk where you thought you were actually close to this thing, or where you thought you saw something, or any any sort of encounter of your own? Um, there's been a couple of times that some things have happened and, you know, I mean, I have to preface that with, of course, you know, in my mind, I, I'm hoping to see this thing at any second, you know, and I'm, uh, but I'm realistic about it. And obviously I'm, um, you know, been in the great outdoors most all of my life. So, um, I'm, you know, uh, take the reality of what I see, but there has been a few times we've been on uh, Mercer Bayou. And once we heard a very strange howl that, uh, occurred sort of at regular intervals, about a minute apart, we heard it three times. And by the third time myself and my, the, the guy that was with me, we were in a canoe out on Mercer and, uh, he, he's been a trapper in Mississippi, a hunter, a outdoorsman, between the two of us, we were like, we don't know what that is. We could not, uh, you know, explain that in normal terms, normal animal sounds. Um, and then uh, after the three times, it it didn't make any more sounds. So we eventually headed about, I don't know, half a mile back 
to where our camp was. About the time we had gotten the canoe out of the water, got back up on the bank, suddenly we heard that same exact animal make this howling, growling sound literally right across the bayou channel from where we were. And again, it did it three times at intervals. And, you know, now we're able to focus even more on it. And to this day, I can't tell you what that was. I mean, I can... I can hope that that was one of these creatures. Um, I can't say for sure because I never saw it, but I felt pretty good that that wasn't a typical animal of the area. And uh, there's been another time when we uh, we found a, a possible track. Unfortunately, it was like literally right in a in a puddle across a road, and it was just a single track. Looked five-toed, and uh, the heel portion was degraded a bit. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a pristine track and we, we didn't even try to cast it and it just came out horrible, but, uh, from the mud and the, and the, uh, water. So those are the two times that, you know, I've personally thought there was some evidence or possible creature in the area. Uh, other than that, it's literally interviewing quite a few people who, you know, told me their stories. Well, and the, the drainage pipe don't. Don't ever forget that. That's a major well, incident. Uh, yeah, well, that, you know, I hope that attests to our credibility. See, we did check it out. We did, you know, unfortunately determine it was it was not a seven-foot-tall ape-like creature. It was merely a <laughs> drainage pipe. But, <laughs> All right. Hey, you know. So, so we're we're literally to the very end of the show, and uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk a little bit about the project we're working on, which is the Boggy Creek Monster, Small Town Monsters movie. But we are so far up to the deadline of the show that all I can really say is that we're making a movie uh, <laughs> next spring with Lyle, and this is going to time out to go up on Sunday, which is when we usually release episodes. So if you're listening to this now, the uh, Kickstarter for Boggy Creek Monster is live. I don't have a URL because of the way Kickstarter works, which is basically you hit launch the the campaign and it goes up and I don't have anything until it goes up. So Sunday morning when you're listening to this, it's going to be active. So if you're on our Facebook page, just go to our Facebook page. But basically, um, for those that don't know, who don't follow Small Town Monsters, we're, we're going to make a documentary, one of the Small Town Monsters movies about the Boggy Creek uh, well, the Falk monster, we're calling it the Boggy Creek monster, uh, the truth behind the legend. So we, we're going to kind of have, um, you know, a focus on those, I think, present day sightings, give you some of the history of the town. And obviously Lyle's going to be involved, um, uh, you know, consultation role and probably more than that as well. But we'll figure that out as we go on. Um, anything you want to say regarding the movie? put you on the spot well yeah i think that certainly this is an opportunity where people can see um you know more about this visually i mean my my book the beast of boggy creek is obviously provided a lot of history there but you know i'm not able to provide the visuals and you can't hear yourself hear for yourself some of these witnesses speaking so i think it's a great opportunity to bring another uh you know historical and current look at the Boggy Creek case, which is so fascinating, and there's so much going on in this, and um, I think it's going to be a great uh, film for you guys, and and I think that, uh, 
you know, pe- people, and I think the confusion is people are like, oh man, you, you're remaking The Legend of Boggy Creek. You know, it's, it seems to be a thing. No, it's not a remake, but in a way, you know, Boggy Creek was a documentary in a lot of ways. So I think this is a, something that can pick up and, and bring you everybody up to current speed on what's been going on down there. So, you know, it's not a remake. It's a continuation of this story, uh, looking at it from the lens of small town monsters. Awesome. Um, Brandon, anything you want to touch on? No. He's not going to touch on anything. Mark, <laughs> final questions. Anything you want to say? Yes. <laughs> the um, it's it's trivia compared to what you just heard and what Lyle said it was awesome. But um, did you get to meet the guy who played Crenshaw in <laughs> Boggy Creek Two? I did, man. I went to Jimmy Clem's house and I yeah. we we went down there one one day and he that guy is so entertaining and so cool and had so many great stories it, i wish i could have just stayed there for days because you know it was it was too short of a visit but yeah we we i do know jimmy and uh he, he's a great old guy and he enjoyed working with charles pierce and doing those movies and it was a fun time to go down there and just you know be a guest at his home and just to hear all these great stories that's the big dude right crenshaw yeah okay I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I just experienced Boggy Creek Two for the first time today, so I'm still digesting it. So <laughs> it's still, it's still, see, it's like Inception to me. So, um, but Lyle, where can people go online to to find your work and to follow along with your exploits? Well, you can find me at lyleblackburn.com, dot com, l y l e blackburn dot com, and uh, that's got links, obviously, to all the things that I've done and am doing and uh and probably more and as well if you want to know more about the falk monster i have a uh falk monster.net f-o-u-k-e monster.net you can see uh more about the boggy creek case there uh, a brief list of sightings and kind of get up to speed on uh some of the things you're going to learn about when the uh, small town monsters movie is completed so check it out awesome all right uh thanks for hanging out with us tonight and for joining us and uh we'll be back of course next week is there no other such as i touch to love before i die listen to my lonely cry where he searches where he goes this of course nobody knows but once you've heard his lonely cry can guess the reason why. For whether he's a beast or man, what drives him wandering across the land, his love or others of his plan, a loneliness he cannot stand. 